biggest challenge amongst the alternative lending universe was that a lot were very levered. And they were levered through credit lines. They were levered through repo facilities. And one of the challenges right now is given the change in markets, lenders are being asked to either buy back loans that may be in default or may not be hitting certain milestones uh, or delever their portfolio. So, you know, that coupled with the fact that loans are taking longer to pay off, just given the slower velocity of transactions, um, is really uh, bogging down the system right now. Banks leaving the market has created a big moment for alternative lenders to provide capital and charge handsomely for it. And for Josh Zegan, the co-founder of Madison Realty Capital, there's also a big opportunity to provide leverage to other lenders because without banks, there's less credit available. What traditionally was a regular bank loan is not happening on a bank loan execution uh, or it's very limited today. I'm Miriam Hall, and this is BizNow Reports. And my guest, Josh, is talking today about the financing markets right now and his sense of the current relationship between lenders and borrowers. Since 2022, the firm has originated about $3 billion in loans. And I asked Josh first, what kinds of deals Madison has been doing lately that show the sorts of opportunities that are on the table? Well, we've just provided a $220 million A note on a condo deal that was nearing completion. And that A note was to another lender who provided a $313 million whole loan. So one of the things we've found is, you know, right now in the market, there's been a huge pullback among amongst lenders, uh, both banks, insurance companies, and um, credit providers to provide capital. And, you know, obviously le- uh, lenders are dependent on leverage to fund transactions. So we saw a huge void in an opportunity to provide senior leverage to another lender, you know, providing capital to complete a job. You know, it's interesting. We often talk about the opportunities to lend on like development sites and and acquisition loans um, because the banks aren't there, but we don't often talk about what opportunities they are lender to lender. Yeah. And and we think that there's a huge void. It's an area that we provided capital into for many years. And in times like these, banks pull back. And obviously, the alternative lending universe needs credit, needs lender finance to be able to fulfill uh, a whole loan uh, origination. So um, obviously, there are very few lenders that are unlevered. So we we saw a void to provide a note, loan on loan financing and credit lines to other lenders. What's the kind of fundamental fact that's driving that opportunity for you, would you say? Well, the if you if you take a step back, what's really happening right now is banks in general have lost deposits. They've lost deposits because um, uh, depositors are moving uh, their deposits into higher yielding assets such as money markets and treasuries. And given that, it's really curtailed banks' abilities to lend because uh, banks lend on a ratio of deposits. So what's really happening is there's less credit available from banks to help both alternative lenders lend and direct borrowers borrow. You know, so what traditionally was a regular bank loan is not happening on a bank loan execution uh, or it's very limited today. When did you first notice this happening? Well, in the last, obviously in early 2023, when markets started to shift, Uh, partially because of Ukraine, partially because of rates moving, currency issues. Um, That was the beginning of cracks. And the first to adapt to the cracks or or first to uh, change was capital markets in general. So 
There was no longer a CLO market that functioned the way it had in 2021. Uh, there were no longer banks that were providing whole loans the way they once were earlier are, you know, last year. So when that started to shift, credit pulled back and it created a very large opportunity to provide capital to fill that void. It became a little more extreme as we went on to 2022, uh, certainly in the latter half of the year. And one of the things that really happened was you had a lot of lenders in the first half that had originated some loans at very low spreads that were no longer market. And those lenders, in many instances, tried to sell off some of that product and weren't able to sell for the same yields they were once able to originate at. So that, that created a dislocation in the market, a lot of it driven by interest rate changes and not just interest rate changes, but the change or the timing at which they changed. It was so extreme. It's really like just a lot of people got caught out almost. Yeah. I mean, it was just a very extreme change. And obviously that change is um, the, the ramifications of the change are a frozen um, market in terms of bid ask spread from an investment sales perspective. Uh, and obviously a pullback in credit. A lot of the pullback of credit, again, is coming from banks and banks fund other alternative lenders, as well as direct borrowers. So is this going to um, potentially kill a few alternative lenders? Well, I think because there's been such an extreme shock to the system, there's a number of alternative lenders that are dealing with issues, some of which were legacy issues, some of which were issues uh, around office loans that were made. I think the most extreme changes, uh, if you look at the five major food groups in, in real estate, multi-office, retail, industrial, and hotel, um, in the last, you know, couple of years, office has suffered probably the most. Uh, a lot of that is the question mark around leasing demand, uh, capital improvements needed to upgrade buildings, um, and just the general uh, work from home sort of movement that's happened post pandemic. We often talk about this as lenders, alternative lenders, big moment, but it doesn't sound like it's going to be every alternative lender's big moment. In fact, it's going to be a bad moment for quite a few alternative lenders. Right. And that's coupled, you know, one, if you look at the alternative lending universe, most have only been around for the last five, seven years or so. So we've been around since 2004. You know, it's almost 20 years now. And we've seen kind of ups and downs in markets. Uh, the biggest challenge amongst the alternative lending universe was that a lot were very levered. And they were levered through credit lines. They were levered through repo facilities. And one of the challenges right now is given the change in markets, lenders are being asked to either buy back loans that may be in default or may not be hitting certain milestones uh, or delever their portfolio. So, you know, that coupled with the fact that loans are taking longer to pay off, just given a slower velocity of transactions, um, is really... Uh, bogging down the system right now. And then in addition to that, when you take some of the securitized lenders, lenders that issued through the CLO market, more of their capital is being trapped in any kind of CLO issuance right now. At one time, they were able to get greater leverage. And today, most lenders can't even originate through a CLO. And when they can, it's at very different economics than once were about a year ago. How do you see this resolving and how long could it take? Well, I think if you if you look at obviously it's really dependent on the rate at which uh, rates are you know rates rise, and uh, there is a perception that that is slowing right now. Um, so we're already seeing to some extent 
a little more velocity of transactions. Um, and I, I think there's a sense that, you know, the rate at which rates are rising will, you know, be less in the next 12 months than they were in the past 12 months. So I don't think that completely changes the landscape, but I think there is hope that the slowing of rate increases will um, create more of a, a narrower bid-ask spread. There'll be some sense of, of an end to this. Right. So then the transaction markets will start opening up. Deal flow will start moving along again. But yeah, but I, I would say, look, the what's happening in the alternative lending universe is one, it's very hard to raise capital because a lot of the institutional investors are overcommitted, uh, especially in the U.S. from what we see as compared to some other parts of the world. Um, I would say if you take the mortgage REIT sector in particular, if you take one sector of alternative lending, um, one of the things that we're seeing happen is, you know, REITs by definition, um, dividend 90% of their, their income. Uh, they typically are levered by definition as well. So one of the challenges is while they may have cash, they're really thinking about the use of that cash. Are they going to have to buy loans off their credit facility? Um, they're not able to issue new unsecured debt. They're Really, it's not very competitive or, or it's very cost prohibitive to issue new shares. Loans are slower to pay off. So a lot of the REIT sector is bogged down by somewhat of a liquidity crunch at the moment in terms of where they're going to raise capital. So that's one sector, if you take, you know, as compared to debt funds or um, other parts of the alternative lending universe, you know, that's an example of a sector that's to some extent out of the business at a point in time where you think they'd be able to provide capital uh, as this alternative lender, you know, taking advantage of some of the yields in the market. From an opportunities point of view, let's talk a little bit about assets um, themselves. Residential has been your big area. You've never really had a huge um, interest in office, I guess, but is it, it is kind of likely over the next year or so that office owners are going to be in a pretty tight spot. You know, loans are coming due. Um, at the same time, there's a lot of pressure to lease up buildings, um, to spend money on buildings. Um, selling isn't going to be that easy. Uh, because there is that, um, I guess, standoff between buyers and sellers. Are you predicting that some office deals are going to make sense for Madison as dislocation and distress, however you want to call it, begins to take hold? Well, we, we've always had a very high bar for office, and we've just found the economics of office lending as compared to residential-related real estate not to be as appealing. So we really just, if you look at our portfolio out of 22 billion or so of, of loans that we've we've made or debt positions we've had. Um, it's been a handful on the office side. Um, and again, for those reasons, it's just capital intensive and risk reward. It just never was there for us. Um, I do think there are going to be some opportunities around this today. Um, some of the opportunities will uh, really be around conversions to other conversions to rental housing, conversions to condo, conversions to student housing. Um, but the problem is that the basis at which those conversions has to ha have to happen um, are really at the distressed debt point in the capital stack. It's usually not in the equity point in the capital stack. So it's going to take a lot of um, capitulation amongst lenders to make that happen uh, and buyers, obviously, to see that that is an opportunity. The problem also is not all office buildings convert well. So it has to do with generally what, what's the floor plan. Uh, floor, sorry, floor plate. You know, is it is it amenable or conducive to a residential conversion, a student housing conversion, or some other? And very few office buildings actually work when you really look at the economics of that deal. 
So I think, you know, while it sounds great that there's this big opportunity to convert to other, it's not as easy as one would think. So it doesn't sound like you're changing your uh, thesis on office at all, really, at the, at the moment. Yeah, I think, again, the bar is very high for us to do an office deal. I think there'll be some interesting distressed debt purchases or recapitalizations. But you know, when you look at what we think is interesting going forward, it'll be few and far between in the office sector. Even these days, I really do hear a lot about the lending community being very patient, um, kind of an approach of, you know, give people more time to allow borrowers to complete their business plan or adapt their business plan. Have you had to take anything back yet? And would you take anything back? Do you expect to take anything back this year at a, at a greater rate? I mean, I think if obviously if we have to, we will. I think we've had a position or, or a thesis that we're going to give a borrower every opportunity to pay off because our goal is to make a loan and get paid back. Um, but that being said, you know, if need be, yes, that will be the, you know, if, if you're in that point, there will be, I think, in the overall um, lending community, a greater uh, position of taking over real estate in the next 12 to 24 months. Um, some of the obviously interest rate costs cost overruns because of the pandemic, things that have happened are de definitely stressing the system. And I think the pace at which someone have to take, well, you know, lenders will have to take over positions will be really dependent on how senior leverage sort of acts with the alternative lending world. So in the pandemic, because it was a health crisis, it was sort of a point in time where as compared to the global financial crisis, it was a lot of punting the situation um, and just because of the health crisis, making good or working with lenders and borrowers to make that work. If regulators put more pressure on banks um, in the upcoming months, that dynamic can change. So you haven't taken anything back yet? We haven't taken anything back in the, you know, in the last three months, four months, you know, not near term. And these were not situations affected specifically today. So th these were situations that may have been legacy things that happened over a few years ago from COVID or, you know, various New York situations, but not uh, not nothing that was specifically related to interest carry right now. You you do read a lot about um, deed in lieu for collusion situations, handing yeah. over the keys. Um, from a practical <clears throat> standpoint, how do those conversations actually work? How how long is that dialogue from like, look, we might be in trouble to, hey, here's the keys, we give up? You know, a lot of it depends on the guarantees you have with the borrower. So in some ways, the leverage the lender has with the borrower or capital needs needed in a short term, such as does the lender have a completion guarantee? Does the lender have a carry guarantee? Um, carry being interest, carry guarantee, taxes, insurance. If there was a ground lease, is there a ground lease payment due? So a lot of it has to do with the guarantees in general. You know, what's the position from a value standpoint to the lender's basis standpoint? And depending on what that looks like or what the deal said going into the deal, such that was there a, a tail in the transaction where lender would be due X amount of interest if, if someone handed over the keys, there's a lot of nuances to it. So really depends on the docs. And again, it's interesting if you went back to this alternative lending universe that's really evolved over many years, a lot has evolved in the docs in general. And in some cases, you have lenders that didn't have going into this what they would like in their docs because, you know, it's just some didn't have the experience. Some, you know, obviously, given uh, uh, the fast pace of transactions, some people didn't get things they would have liked to have, have received in the docs. 
Um, so th that's been a lot of, I think, what when when situations like this happen, people go back to their docs and say, what do I have? What do I not have? Often the reason that lenders say they're not sort of that interested in taking things back, particularly in construction, is because they don't really have the capacity to run construction on a building. But Madison would have the capacity to run construction on the building. Do you, do you have loans out there at the moment that you kind of would think of stepping in on and, and bringing it to completion? You know, as I said, we're, when we make a loan, we're looking to get paid back. And it's sort of like, that's not the mindset. We do have the ability because we do have a development business in New York City. And if anything, I think the borrower community views our knowledge and experience in the business as sort of a, a competitive advantage. The fact that we, you know, little things don't really phase us much. You know, obviously through the pandemic, there were times where there was a lot of borrowers that needed an amendment, a change of a... Um, a maturity date, uh, just various things that came along the way. And we were able to, because we service everything in-house and control our own destiny in the sense that we don't leverage up our portfolio and we're driving our business deal, that flexibility was very much uh, appreciated in the market. And you know, given the fact that we have a lot of repeat borrowers, I think they appreciate the kind of flexibility we can offer. That being said, obviously, if you give many chances and someone just can't get out of their own way, at some point, you know, it is what it is. You know, construction is really tough at the moment. Pandemic holdups, supply chain issues, soaring costs. Are you seeing a lot of lending opportunities on projects that you weren't involved in at all, um, but the construction isn't kind of playing out in the time frame that they were expecting and they're kind of desperate for extra cash? That's a, that's a big part of the opportunity right now because we're seeing a lot of deals where there were overruns during the pandemic, uh, delays in the pandemic, yet a lot of sales, an example of a condo deal. So they're at the finish line, but they may have had a lender that stopped funding them, or they may have had um, a maturity date that's imminent, and there's a need for more capital. So that kind of situation we're seeing uh, throughout the country. And, you know, generally the transactions that are most interesting right now is where, you know, generally where someone has to transact. And that example that you, you kind of mentioned in terms of a deal nearing completion, cost overruns, changes, I think there are very few that can complete a capital stack as a whole loan lender in that instance. Right now, it's very hard to pull together a senior, a mez, a pref. You know, a year ago when you had more fluid markets, people were able to slice and dice a deal to get the best execution. And right now, to provide a larger whole loan to the market, you know, we, we have that ability. And we're providing a lot of deals that are nearing, you know, financing to complete a job, to get involved mid-construction and, and, and bring a, a deal to the finish line. You've also got Madison Newborn, which is like a hospitality lending platform, which interestingly, I think Acor did something similar. And the question is, what is the big benefit of, of, of hospitality? Is it just that people are in a lot of trouble, but the general uh, fundamentals of hospitality are still there, which is people want to travel, whereas there's probably a less of a less of a conviction around office on that regard. Yeah, I mean, if you look, going into the pandemic, we actually had, again, it was an area where we had, a, I don't know, three or four hospitality loans, in, in, you know, in total. And uh, again, the reason for that was hotels out of the five major food groups, hotel was always more of an operating business within housed within real estate. So you really had to have the operating expertise if you want to scale it rather than dabble in it. Um, the exception to that rule is branded residences, because generally when we provided capital around a Four Seasons Hotel and Residences or Mandarin, 
hotel and residences or things like that, um, a lot of the loan, 80% of the loan in many cases, are taken care of through residential sales from a basis standpoint. But hospitality, you know, we thought there was a major void in the market, an opportunity to provide credit and hospitality uh, starting in uh, fourth quarter of 2021. Given that we had a clean balance sheet and yet a lot of lenders still with legacy issues, there was a void in the market. So in doing that, we looked for a partner that had the operating expertise to be able to really bring that dynamic to the to our deal flow and to their deal flow. Um, and, uh, you know, the new bond, the Madison new bond relationship was really formed in the fourth quarter of 21. So a lot of that is refinancing, less acquisitions? No, acquisitions, refinancings. It's really uh, where we see anything with a straight hotel uh, component to it. We really uh, have brought in the new bond uh, folks to kind of um, really work through the underwriting, confirm value, confirm operating ability, operations. Um, and there's a knowledge base that's there that we've really wanted to leverage. Yeah. I wonder, though, what types of hotels? I, I, do you have you formed a much of a view of what are the good things to be lending on from a hospitality perspective? So, I mean, obviously resorts, uh, areas, look, New York right now, the hospitality market is very strong, but the credit market for hospitality is not. So there's interesting dynamic where in New York City, you have a situation where a lot of rooms were taken offline, a lot of rooms that aren't re reopening, and some of which are being converted to other. Uh, we were just involved in a deal, um, the Marriott 49th Street, where uh, there is a play to potentially convert that to something else. Yeah, that sold at a massive discount, didn't it? Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of environment where you <laughs> where you can step in, where people are interested in buying because they're picking up what, quote unquote, deals. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's what we're seeing. And then, the uh, you know, in New York City in particular as well, you had zoning changes that really um, limited new supply of hotels. So with, with that, you know, you went into the pandemic where you had too many hotel rooms and today... Uh, there's a much more balanced situation in hospitality. You started out really New York focused, but you have expanded significantly nationally in recent years. And there's been a lot of loud discussion around New York's future, especially with so much economic momentum sort of heading to Florida and the Sun Belt. From your perspective, is, is New York still like the number one real estate investment hub or is it diminished? I think New York is a very strong market where global markets want to be. I think there's challenges from a political standpoint that really has changed the dynamic, um, obviously coupled with the pandemic, which drove people from New York to other places, from San Francisco to other places, you know, big cities. Um, there was definitely a movement to some of the secondary cities, partially because of technology and the ability where you can work from a lot of different places in the same job. Um, New York, I think, given that it is a diversified economy um, and the fact that it still is the, a major hub of jobs and, and opportunity will always be New York. Um, but, you know, def it definitely has changed. So New York's still, um, still number one from your perspective. You're still going to be headquartered in New York. It's still going to be a major part of your business. Yeah, not going anywhere. Josh, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Thanks so much. That's Josh Zegan. He's the co-founder of Madison Realty Capital. 
Since I recorded that interview, however, it was reported that Madison is facing foreclosure at the retail space at the Williamsburg Savings Bank building. Madison owns the retail condominium in a joint venture with a private equity firm, and the judge has ruled, according to reports, that the foreclosure could move forward after the venture defaulted on a $22.2 million loan. I'll leave a link to that story in the show notes. I'm Miriam Hall. Thanks for listening.